Hello and welcome to another episode of Cranky Talk, a show for avgeeks and non-avgeeks alike. We tackle anything related to airlines and sometimes beyond. And this week, we're talking about alliances. Like in Survivor? Uh, no. Well, actually, I guess the airline <laughs> industry kind of is like Survivor, but <laughs> anyway, no, we, we are talking about airline alliances. So, do those still matter? Well, this is a great question, and really, that's the whole point of today's episode, and we need to thank Ezra for writing into us with this question. Everyone, keep them coming. We'll keep addressing the questions. So, Dave, uh, what is the exact question? Can you read it word for word here? Okay. Uh, So, Ezra asks, alliances. These seemed to be huge back about 10 to 15 years ago, but now they seemed almost irrelevant. Uh, with Delta doing its own thing and low-cost carriers opting out, do alliances matter? Slash, are they good for airlines? Slash, are they good for consumers? Slash, should anyone care? Wow, there's a lot there. All right. But first, let's thank this week's sponsor, Idemia. You may not know Idemia, but they are an authorized enrollment provider for TSA PreCheck, and we will once again talk about them more later. Uh, so do alliances still matter? No. Yes. Wait. No. Well, on the other hand, yes. All right. Would you like some time to gather your thoughts? Mm, I'm good. My official answer is that they do matter, just maybe not as much as they used to. Okay, well, I feel like it's uh, about uh, to be uh, time for a history lesson. The year was 1997. I was finishing up my sophomore year in college. The dot-com bubble was building, and five airlines flew their airplanes to the same airport and pointed their noses at each other to form a star. Is that real? Yeah, it really is. (laughs) It's the the corniest thing (laughs) five different large corporations could do. Yes, sir. Well, there were five founding members (laughs) of the newly birthed Star Alliance— United brought a 777, uh, SAS out of Scandinavia, pulled up in a 767. Thai rolled in with a 747. And uh, both Air Canada and Lufthansa brought A340s. And together they founded the first modern alliance. Here's a link you can put up there for the the photo they did there. So they all pointed in the same direction and formed a circle and hailed Satan. Um, Okay, so... (laughs) Okay, so what was the big deal when this rolled out? I was a kid, and I do not remember. What's the deal? Yeah. What's the deal? Full 90s. <laughs> right. So, well, okay, so from the early 1990s, um, airlines started coming together with some tight partnerships. So the the best known, and I would argue most expertly executed, was the Northwest KLM deal, uh, which started off with KLM investing in Northwest uh, to prevent it from failing. Uh, and then eventually, by 93, they had um, antitrust immunity from the feds so they could coordinate. Uh, and by 1997, became a full-on uh, joint venture between the two. Okay. What does that mean? <sighs> so many questions. I guess that's the point of a podcast. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, the idea here is for airlines to be able to work together seamlessly. And... 
there had been code shares for longer than this, where one airline sells another airline's flight as if it's its own. Um, and, and I'm not even going to get into interchanges, which were like ages ago. That's ancient history. But but they wanted more than code share. And the problem is they couldn't do the full-on merger because cross-border mergers are generally not allowed in the airline industry thanks to protectionist policies uh, by most governments are out there. So they had to figure out another way to coordinate. Um, so the Northwest KLM deal was kind of the, the grandfather of this whole process, but man, it was a bear. Like KLM had, had invested in Northwest to save it from going bankrupt. And then Northwest wasn't overly happy about that. They didn't want them to have much say. So there were like lawsuits and all kinds of issues between them. And so eventually by the late nineties, they came up with this joint venture program which solved the the problem for them. Uh, so, you know, they they basically uh, would view flying over the ocean as they would both benefit the same regardless of what airline uh, passengers were flying on. Uh, so that, that takes a lot of coordination. That's not easy to do. Now, imagine doing that if you have a bunch of different airlines in different countries trying to do this globally. That That's a that's a much tougher one. Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. So so what happened is instead of the joint ventures, like these one-to-ones that were there, uh, y- you started to see these alliances come out. So that's Star Alliance was the first with United, Lufthansa, Air Canada, SAS, and Thai, as I mentioned. The alliance doesn't require antitrust immunity, uh, but it did allow them to create sort of a common platform, I guess I would call it. Um, so, you know, at the very least, they could work together. You could allow earning of miles across airlines. So if you're in the Thai program and flew on Air Canada, you could earn your miles. Um, you could get your elite benefits recognized if you're an elite member in one program flying a partner airline. Um, it, they standardized rules to make it easier for travelers that were flying between the airlines. Uh, they would try and co-locate in, in the same terminals if they could in certain places. Uh, and they also had the ability to really help operationally. So you know, they could interline with each other. They could reaccommodate passengers. Uh, they, they could work together to do some of the basic blocking and tackling here. All right. So that seems like it would be useful. Uh, why is it that uh, Ezra wants to know if they're still useful? Well, that is a great question. And we'll get to it after the break. So, Dave, can you please explain to me why you love taking your shoes off at the airport? What? Well, you don't have TSA PreCheck, right? So you must love waiting in slow lines, taking your shoes off, pulling your laptop and your travel size liquids out of a bag. I get it. I get it. Uh, no, I don't. But uh, I also don't fly enough to bother paying to get TSA PreCheck. Dude, it's 85 bucks. Good for five years. It's it's not worth $17 a year. Come on. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it's also a pain to get it. I remember when you had to go to the airport and try to get an interview or something. Well, that was for global entry, and that was also a long time ago. And TSA PreCheck on its own is a lot easier. Uh, You still do have to do in-person enrollment, but it takes less than five minutes, and you don't have to go to an airport. There are more than 450 enrollment centers, including one right downtown on Ocean near you, and another one up by the Lakewood Golf Course. They're all over the place. Uh, okay, do they even have pre- uh, TSA pre-check screening lines at most airports? If I'm flying out of yes, Long Beach? Yes, they do. God, this, 
Long Beach has it along with more than 200 other airports around the country, and it's now even outside the U.S. with Nassau and the Bahamas. Oh, so if I get it, we can do our next company meeting in the Bahamas? No. But why go in the normal lanes when you can get a premium stress-free experience? Go to universalenroll.dhs.gov to get started. All right, so why is there a question if alliances are worthwhile? It's funny because alliances were an immediate and huge hit. So after the uh, Star Alliance was formed, American got together with its buddies and formed One World in 99. And then the laggard of the bunch, Delta, uh, got together with its pals, uh, followed in uh, 2000 to create Sky Team, which is just, when you think about that name, it's just so silly. (laughs) We're a Sky Team. All these names are silly, Brett. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, but okay, so then there was a race to like get all the members. Like, who's going to join our gang? And uh, Star Alliance, uh, man, today they have 26 full members and more affiliates. So it's a pretty big deal. Okay. So, again, why would they not be worthwhile? I'm just going to make you ask the same question every time. <laughs> That's the plan. Sure. Okay, so let's get more to it. So the the point is, it turns out that Northwest and KLM had it right. Okay. Uh, the, the joint venture plan was hugely beneficial. So the ability to jointly schedule their fleets and price tickets together with antitrust immunity, that made for incredible efficiencies. And, it, it, man, they were so tightly integrated that for years, KLM didn't even have a U.S. website. All bookings went through Northwest if you were in the U.S. And Northwest had airplanes in places you would never expect. It flew a like a DC-10 usually from Newark, from Philly, to Washington Dulles, to Amsterdam. These aren't hubs for Northwest or didn't even have a large presence there. But it, on the other end in Amsterdam, it's a hub for KLM, which Northwest could effectively consider its own. So this is the most efficient way to route airplanes back and forth. And since they didn't care which airline operated the flight, it, it was it was pretty big deal. Okay, and so then all the other airlines flocked to this? So predictable, I know. But yes. Uh, Northwest merged into Delta, as we know, and, and KLM is now part of Air France KLM. Um, so they're all in a joint venture together, and Virgin Atlantic's in that as well now. Um, and then, you know, there are other ones as well in different regions. So Delta has Korean over into Asia, and they're working on one with Latam down in Latin America. Uh, British Airways, Iberia, and Finnair got together with uh, American uh, to create a deal, and now Aer Lingus is in that too. Uh, American has Japan Airlines. They have another one with Qantas. United's teamed up with Lufthansa Group, which is a bunch of airlines. Um, also have ANA over to Asia, Air New Zealand. There are more. Okay, I think we get it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming that this is the point. With the spread of these joint ventures, it kind of makes the alliances less important. Yeah, so that that is the question at hand. Is is that really the case? It it does make the alliance itself less important. But that doesn't mean it's not important. Because first, joint ventures can only happen with airlines in countries that have open skies agreements with the U.S., at, at least involving U.S. airlines. Okay, meaning that uh, these there aren't restrictions on where U.S. airlines can fly in those countries and where airlines from those countries uh, fly into the U.S. Right. And not all countries have that with the U.S. The biggest is China, uh, which is a country where people used to be able to fly before COVID. Maybe you've heard of it? 
That rings a bell. Yeah. So Air China can't do a joint venture, but Air China's in Star Alliance. Cathay Pacific's in One World, uh, which Hong Kong, China, you know, either way, no open skies <laughs> there. Uh, China Eastern's in Sky Team. You know. And they uh, can't go further that way anyway. <laughs> well, they can do some minority investments. We, we've seen some airlines take little stakes in Chinese carriers and stuff like that, but they can't coordinate with each other. Okay. So the alliances still create this great platform for airlines from around the world to be able to plug into a single standard and then offer a more seamless experience. Okay, so it does matter, but it sounds like there are the haves <laughs> and the have-nots. <laughs> I always think about United in Europe. United has a joint venture with Air Canada and Lufthansa Group across the pond. Uh, Lufthansa Group, by the way, that is not just Lufthansa. It's also Austrian, Swiss, and Brussels Airlines. So for travel to Europe, that has you mostly covered with those airlines. But then you have other airlines like Lot Polish, SAS, Tap Air Portugal. They're not part of the joint venture, but they are part of Star Alliance. So they kind of feel like a, like a second-tier player. Okay, I get that. Uh, so there is some benefit, but not as much as there used to be. Um, are there any examples of alliances, uh, mattering recently? I'm so glad you asked, Dave. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, look, um, we can look no further than Seattle. I lived there once. You sure did. Uh, but it was only March of last year that Alaska Airlines decided to join One World. Mm. Uh, it had relationships with several One World Airlines before, including a partnership with American, um, worked with British Airways, that kind of stuff. But only when it joined the alliance did it really open up the ability to flow passengers from its big local network into the vast international One World network. Okay, so what happened? Well, from day one, Alaska travelers could earn miles on all the other member airlines, even those with which it had no previous relationship, and vice versa. That's the nice thing about the alliance. You don't have to do all these one-offs. You can plug into this just broad system. And then elite members had access to priority check-in, security, boarding lounges, higher bag allowances. So now when Alaska travelers needed to fly long haul, their status on Alaska actually gave them benefits they didn't have before. Which I assume made it easier for Alaska to attract people away from Delta, which already had the ability to take people near and far. Spoken like someone who used to live there. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's right. So... You know, before, if you had a lot of international travel, you might focus on Delta and then you do your domestic there as well because they could serve everything. It was a little more piecemeal with Alaska. You might get some benefits in some places but not others. This kind of fixes a lot of that and makes it a big deal. And then, you know, when this started happening, Alaska figured out what are the airlines that matter the most. It started tightening up its relationships with the One World Airlines that could really benefit and, I mean, it, the results were, were pretty huge. So before the airline even officially joined, it started a frequent flyer relationship with uh, Qatar. And then Qatar started flying to Seattle from Doha at the end of January 2021. And by the summer, they had a whole big, robust code share in place. So that was huge. And then in October of 21, Alaska started a code share with Iberia. And this year, Finnair bulked up its coach here with Alaska, and it started flying to Seattle from Helsinki just this month, actually, uh, this summer. All right. So for two global airlines, a joint venture is best. But when you get more regional operations that don't match, uh, an alliance is still the best way to make it happen. 
And when you add all those together into a single behemoth, it expands the reach. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for tuning in to Cranky Talk. We'll be back with more deep dives and helpful tips for these turbulent times. Thank you to Idemia. If you do not have TSA PreCheck, come on. Universalenroll.dhs.gov. Uh, if you'd like to be a sponsor of Cranky Talk, let us know. Email us at advertise at crankyflyer.com. And please remember to leave us a five-star rating. This helps others find our podcast. Um, audience, you have been lagging. Not a lot of five-star ratings lately. Uh, please do that. Uh, do we have any one-star ratings? We have no ratings to speak of. Like I said, oh, five stars. That's even worse. Five stars only, please. Um, you can re- you can write whatever you want in the comments. I'll probably read it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, you will. Five stars only. Sure. All right. And if you do have suggestions for what you'd like us to cover in a future show, tell us. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Just email us at info at crankyconcierge.com. Be like Ezra. Yes. That's Thank our you, mantra Ezra. Now. And if you are looking for a weekly summary of airline network schedule changes, you can subscribe to the new Cranky Network Basics at crankynetworkweekly.com.